You're listening to the Acceptably Real podcast with Joe and Jerry on Anchor.fm, where the weird, the wild, and the unknown are fair play. Enjoy the show. Joe. Hey, Jerry. How's it going? Uh, it's going pretty good. I got myself a new M1 powered MacBook um, Air, Ooh, which um, which uh, I it's okay. It's not it's not exactly as extremely awesome as I was led to believe, but it's still pretty cool. What um, Apple hype? No way. <laughs> yeah, no way. <laughs> Um, it's supposed to be like 98% faster than any other laptop on the market. And I'm like, mm. well, I'm booting it up next to my 2015 MacBook Pro and it's faster, but it's not 98% faster. Uh. But um, the cool thing is uh, the, the main reason I wanted it um, because I, I wanted this perfect utopia where I could run all my Mac stuff and my my iPhone stuff and my iPad stuff all on one machine, which is this is supposed to be able to do. Yeah, you know, uh, I I I know what you're saying. I know it kind of seems like that's the way to go. I've I think since I've started my role at my my job, uh-huh. um, I've become like more so like I don't want anything to be kind of connected. Yeah, I'll have my Wi-Fi and my Google, my home devices and stuff, but I don't want like my phone and all that, like be stuck in that one thing. Like what if somebody gets into your account? You know what I mean? And then. Well, what I'm talking though, is it, it, uh, it will actually run the iPhone and iPad programs on the computer. Interesting. With this chip. Or at least they, that's what they said. And so I'm going through going, okay, I'm going to load all this stuff. And I'm like, wait a minute, none of this stuff is available (laughs) because apparently the programmers have to go into whatever Apple um, control panel they have when they publish their, their programs on the app store and click a button saying, allow this to run on the, on a computer. Yeah. And not many people did that. So, but the one that did, well, actually there's two, one is my diet program, Noom. And the other one which I'm very happy about is I could run the iPad version of Facebook on the computer and not have to use that absolutely horrible new version of Facebook that they have in the browser. I hate that. Yeah. Yeah. So I have my own little computer utopia. (laughs) And that's, after, I mean, yeah, there's, there's cool, some tech stuff out, you know, I just, I recently re- built a new machine. Um, there's some gaming systems coming out, man, at least we have that, you know, I mean, if this world we're in, why don't you and I just go in with our loved ones, just start a, a utopia somewhere we want to be that's outside of this muckiness. I, I love that idea. And I, 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 it's weird because, you know, you, the United States of America began that way. 
When, when John Winthrop and his band of Puritans arrived in Massachusetts, they were here to form a utopia. How did that go? <laughs> <laughs> yep, not so well. Oh, man. But, um, I mean, some people have done that successfully, though, right? Like yeah. in, in Arizona, there's this place called the Arco Santi. Have you ever heard about this? No, actually, it, it, um, I've never heard of that. Yeah. So it's an urban lab laboratory, urban laboratory um, called Arcosanti, which was created in the 70s in the Arizona desert. It's kind of like an hour from Phoenix, but huh. it was supposed to be like a social experiment. So um, the this this guy who had this idea of something called archaeology, which is architecture fused with ecology. And oh, okay. There are 50 inhabitants there still today, um, and they're called Arconauts. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I mean, so that's why that's um, still going today, and it's, you know, it looks really cool. Like, um, they sell, like, something you should know, and if you didn't, about utopias, is that a lot of them start out as money-making schemes, or they have (laughs) to have some kind of money-making thing at their, their base, because that's, you know, what they they'll need for supplies and stuff that's true that's true what they do they collaborate and they create and sell ceramic and bronze windmills wind bells sorry oh and that's how they yeah that's how they profit off stuff Mm -hmm. and it's you should check it out arco a-r-c-o-s-a-n-t-i um it's a crazy crazy looking building group of buildings i should say Um, but very interesting the reason i'm familiar with that term is larry niven and jerry purnell who wrote um lucifer's hammer and footfall and a bunch of other very famous science fiction books they came out with one and oddly enough i can't remember the name of this one but it was about an arcology but theirs was a building a self-sufficient building a mile long and I don't know, a mile high or something. It was it's like this uh-huh. city state building in one place. Oh, it was called Oath of Fealty. And so in order to join it, you had to take an Oath of Fealty. You had to be loyal to the arcology, not to anything else. And so it was it was a science fiction about how a building could be its own country. Wow. And what it would face. I don't remember a whole lot about it. I do remember it was not the most exciting one of their stories, yeah. but it was an interesting concept. Yeah. I mean, there's, but there's others that are, that have been successful too, right? Uh-huh. I mean, uh, let's talk about the farm in Tennessee. Um, this is another 70s based one. It kind of goes along with a commune, uh, hippie commune kind of style. Um, isn't isn't that the like the the oldest established running commune in the United States? Yeah, uh huh. And it's um it's located right outside of Summertown, Tennessee, and it was started by three hundred hippies, flower children, free thinkers, whatever you call them. Oh, I'm in. Yeah, and uh, it was, <laughs> yeah, there's a documentary in 2012 about it called American Commune. Um, I, I uh-huh. watched some clips on YouTube. I'd check it out if I were you. But it's now composed about 200, so that's still a pretty decently sized commune, right? Um, and you know, they're they're founded on, and they still live by their core values of nonviolence and respect for the environment. They're all vegetarians, um, so it sounds like they really have it made. You know, sounds pretty cool. Wow, I wonder what their quality of life is. 
I wonder, I, yeah, I mean, they, they must be happy. They're still there. Yeah. But I mean, I, that's, that's what it all comes down to. You, you have to create, um, a little happiness zone, you know? Yeah. That's the point. That's what you want. Um, what else? So I guess one with a purpose is in Green Bank, West Virginia. Um, it's a safe haven where where people can get away from the reach of technology. It's where the electrosensitive can come and escape the digital world. I don't know if you're uh, you ever watched that show, uh, Better Call Saul. Um, no, I've just heard about it. One of the characters is his older brother, um, who was a really really uh, popular and um, really. I guess from a formidable um, attorney and he was, it was in a law firm and then some of something happened where he all of a sudden started getting really scared of um, and become electrosensitive where he couldn't have to deal with electricity and stuff. So this, this small town is dedicated to that. It's located in a U.S. national radio quiet zone. It's a 13,000 square mile area where any electromagnetic radiation, including cell phones, Wi-Fi signals, are banned as to not to, to disturb the radio astronomy observatory. So oh, there, <laughs> yeah. So there are about 150 people there today. Um, where they kind of created this, um, you know, community for people who who think it's harmful to their health. Um, you know, and here uh, here Elon Musk goes launching 10,000 uh, uh, Wi-Fi satellites. <laughs> They're going to yeah. circle over them over it <laughs> constantly. Well, it really makes me feel like is that a uh, overall a good thing or overall is that a bad thing? You know what, what I mean? The the, the the satellites? Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's uh, like I what the benefits it pro- could provide. Do that does that outweigh all of the negative? kind of things that um might happen right so maybe you have some remote indian villages get internet maybe they use the knowledge they gain from the internet or if they're just on facebook or you know whatever instagram or whatever people are on these days uh, <laughs> i don't know i guess well i mean it um what one of the main benefits especially right now is uh is when it comes online it's going to enable um, students who are way out in the middle of nowhere to access their remote schools. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it um, has come online, um, but it's only, only in the, very in the few, north in yeah. the north. Yeah. Only very few spaces, I guess. That's what I've understood. I was very happy that I'm actually getting fiber here, fiber all the way to the house. Wow. I'm going to have one gig up and down. As opposed to one gig down, 60 up. Man, we've come a long way from the days of 56K modem. Or Yeah. I remember when I was like, oh my God, I finally have a 56K modem. Yeah. Because I started with, uh, what was it? It was like super, su- 300. I started with 300 baud modem. Wow. And my, my first modem was like that. You could sit there and easily watch the text as it forms on the screen. Wow. Of course, this was pre-internet, or at least pre-public internet, so it was all bulletin boards. But um, um, I remember there was a bulletin board I used to belong to called Utopia. Oh, really? Yeah, old bulletin board groups? Yeah. That's the yeah. kind of the precursor to Usenet. 
Yeah, and and then they uh, they all joined together for not Usenet, but what was it, it was called um, Fidonet. Mm-hmm. Fidonet, yeah. Fido, yeah. I would say Fidonet is a precursor to Usenet. Yeah. I did a I did a paper on Usenet in um, in college. Really interesting stuff. <laughs> all that ancient technology to you, right? But you, you know, you know what though? Like that that became very popular within the kind of piracy groups. Oh yeah, I remember of downloading and even I mean, but even no, today, I know nothing know? about that. <laughs> what is this piracy? We are merely tea traders. <laughs> Yeah, but no, today it's still used for that. I mean, I don't, I don't use it, but um, it's kind of crazy how how that old technology is still because people don't really know about it. You know, people just think of the internet as Google and their whatever they can browse to. Even even um, um, Napster is considered like ancient stuff now. <laughs> yeah. And I remember in the BBS days, yeah, we'd trade songs, but they weren't MP3s. They were MIDI files. MIDI files, jeez. <laughs> what was so that guy's hearing... name? Uh, ooh, Sean Parker. Sean Parker. Um, he was the guy who did Napster, right? Oh, that I don't remember. Yeah, I think I think he's the one who founded Napster, and he is the one who co-founded it, maybe. And then he served as one of the first presidents of Facebook. I don't know if you watched that movie, The Social, oh, the yeah, Social Network. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they got, they got in a lot of trouble because he was, like, bringing underage girls in and, yeah. and cocaine and, yeah. But, yeah, interesting. Fun times. <laughs> oh, boy. Let me talk about some utopias that went wrong. Oh, there's lots of them. Like the United States. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good example. Um, well, I guess I, I did forget to mention that Marihishi in Iowa, so that was kind of close to us. Um, yeah, I made popular by the Beatles. If you're, I'm not sure if that was your oh, time. Oh yeah, or, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, I didn't realize I was here though. Oh yeah, man. It's is it uh, still is still going. Mm-hmm. Oh, I may have to check that out. Yeah, go ahead and give it a give it a little Google, but you know the Beatles were obsessed with that place, and people, you know, went there in droves. <laughs> um, there's an open air observatory built from sundials, designed to replicate the structure of the universe in a miniature, a hotel, a spa with public school and public schools that teach children the ways of transcendental meditation, twice daily sessions. Am yeah. I, I I was into that for a while when I was eighteen. Yeah, whatever you're into, you know. He she. It was it was pretty cool. So I I belonged. I'm sorry. Were were you you were heading toward another one? Were you? I was I was just gonna say it's it's in uh, Jefferson County, Iowa. I'm not sure where in Iowa that is necessarily, but um, yeah, it looks like a kind of looks like a a military base from above. Oh, that's kind of scary. You know where Fairfield, Iowa is? Have you heard of that? I've heard of Fairfield, Iowa. I think I've passed it when Tracy and I were like roaming yeah, so around it's, randomly. It's, it's kind of if you went halfway between here, or I guess, sorry, not here, Davenport and Des Moines, halfway, and then you went directly south for 30 minutes, 40 minutes. Yeah, um, see, we one one summer we just started flipping a coin and going whatever way it 
it told us and we drove all over the place. Oh yeah. And and I think we went near there. Do you remember Jim Jones and the whole Jonestown? Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. That's where the whole thing drink the Kool-Aid came from. Right. What do you remember about it? I remember it was horrific. Um, Uh A bunch of people um, followed him down into Central America and they formed a commune and, and the authorities were going to come in and bust them and they knew about it. So everybody decided to um, drink poison, die, and then meet on the other side where they could just continue then on the, yeah. on the other side. Yeah, it was, well, he had a kind of isolated kind of communist Christian cult. Yeah. And he was like their leader, their pastor or something like that. Right. I, I forgot what the cult's name was, but um, he, he had moved them from the States to Guyana. I think I have in my notes. I think that's, I'm butchering that probably um, because they didn't want to have that much press around them. Um, it was kind of like uh, there were abuses there. Like they were kind of, kind of like, get the same kind of vibe about the whole Scientology thing um, where, you know, there's, there's shady stuff happening. Uh, what happened is there was a congressman who, who traveled there to kind of figure out what was going on. And when he got there, when he landed there at some, I think it was when he landed there, but he was killed. Oh, and so, right. Yeah. And so right after that, um, Jim Jones had, you know, done his whole cocktail or his Kool-Aid thing, uh, pretty much orchestrated the whole mass suicide by having them drink the poison Kool-Aid. Um, and the people who didn't drink it were murdered. And then yeah. Jim Jones had, you know, offed himself at the end. Man, that's wild. That is wild. But that's just, you know, you know it kind of was, do you remember there was, um, when uh, God, what comet was it? it? Wasn't Kahootek, was it? It was some other comet was coming, the Hale Bop comet, I think. And okay. uh, there are these. Um, there was a, a basically um, a micro um, utopia, or at least that's what they were trying to build. Um, a bunch of people who who I think it was a mansion. And they all lived together in this mansion in bunk beds and everything it was a very communal thing. And they all did web design, right? Oh, mm-hmm. But that's how they supported it. Uh, and that way they could support it from the, the building. And uh, they had this belief for some reason that uh, aliens were tagging along on this comet that was passing Earth and they had to leave their bodies to go, go join them and continue on through the universe. And so they all made these really bizarre uh, uh, star outfits where they put them on, they looked like stars. And then they took some sort of poison voluntarily and all committed suicide all at once, believing that they would just leave their body and go off with the aliens in this comet or something like that. that was that Heaven's Gate with uh, the purple outfits? Am I thinking I think of that? So. Right? I think so. I don't yeah. remember what the yeah, name yeah, was. Yeah. yeah, that's it. I just looked it up. Um, yeah, Hail Bop brings closure to Heaven's Gate. Our 22 years of classroom here on planet Earth is finally coming to a conclusion. 
Yeah, man. There's um that guy. I just remember that video of that the the balding old white guy. Uh, remember it played on on um night or uh, what was it? Dateline or something like that. Um, or the nightly nightly news with Dan Brokaw. I don't know something. <laughs> I just I have all these memories from when I was a little kid watching um, Dan Brokaw and when I in my kitchen. Sometimes uh, when we were eating together as a family, we'd we'd watch that and I'd see. I don't know. I can remember stuff about like um, the war in Kuwait and war over in the Middle East. Um, and thinking, you know, and the the media's tone on everything was like, oh, the world is going to end tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> and just freaking myself out all the time about it. And of course, and then I'd go play video games and forget all about it. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know, but creepy stuff for sure. Um, yeah, there was in Brazil um, in the 20, 1920s, there were some Finnish settlers that moved from you know, Finland to Brazil. Uh, they founded the city or the colony of Penedo under the tutelage of Pastor Tovio Uscalio, um, who he was convinced that God wanted him to start a Finnish utopia in the tropics. So that's what that's what happened. <laughs> according, according to the rules, everyone was vegan. No one smoked, drank. Everyone worked together on a farm. Um, didn't make any money. Uh, and then Penedo ran that way until 1942 when the residents realized that they couldn't run a town without money. Unfortunately, that was the truth they saw and that kind of didn't work out. Um, there was other utopias that were like, you know, other money making schemes that did work longer. Like I think uh, silk, butter, um, little crafty things really had supported several of them. Um, just, just interesting that you, you can't go form your own society without still being in the need of, you know, your current society. Well, you have to be self-sufficient somehow. I mean, if you think about it, some Pacific Islanders probably had utopias before European visitors uh, destroyed it all. Sure. Um, you know, they, they, especially you're, you're on an Island where everything is provided for you by nature and you don't even need shelter because the weather's always beautiful year round and there's no mosquitoes or poisonous snakes or, you know, and the, there's nothing but lots of fish and, and lobsters and crabs for you to eat. Just walk down and pick them up. You know, that's, there's utopia right there. That's what it sounds like. But yeah, man, I, that, that's where I, we should go. Yeah. But <laughs> that's where we should go. so, so my question is that you, you, are able to establish a place where everything is taken care of for you and you're in perfect harmony and everything. Isn't there some sort of drive to be challenged? You know, I mean, is it, I'm wondering if that's where conflict comes in that seems to be the bane of, of all these places. Cause I was reading something about how there's been numerous um, um, utopias set up and communes and stuff like that. And usually what dissolves them is interpersonal disputes and people just can't get along with each other. And I, I mean, that's, well, that's obviously our problem right now, but that was also um, problems that we we've had all the way back through history. 
It just, you know, this tribe just can't get along with that tribe for some reason because someone offended someone and then they didn't want to forgive each other and it escalated. And that, that's why communism will never work because you need perfect people who will all pitch in and not be dishonest. Yeah. What is, so let's say that you tomorrow got home from from work. I don't know if you guys are still working there with the COVID going on and stuff, but um, we're working at home. Yeah. So what would you do? Let's say you're done working and you get you go to the mailbox and you get a letter. Jerry, we want you to join our utopia out of the tropics. But the catch is you can't have a laptop. You don't. There's no phones. It's just how life, you know, just in the tropics should be without any of that kind of stuff. Would you do it, or are you still in love with your digital devices that you wouldn't do that? I, I already said I have a micro utopia right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you love it enough. I'm good. I'm good where I'm at. But also, I mean, the, the thing now, um, take away global warming and everything like that. This sounds wonderful. And I would probably like to retire that way. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is those tropical paradises are going to be gone in 20 years. They're, they're going to be underwater. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, so they say, I, I know, you know, they say this thing, but then measurements from 30 years ago didn't, weren't, you know, adding up. I mean, things at some point are, I just, I, I think about how soon it'll actually be. I see on the news and everybody, you know, just hears that it's real and then believes it. I mean, I just want to see a lot more research done. You know, before I, I could show you a graph that covers the last four or five thousand years. Yeah. And and the fluctuations um since the last ice age and then uh the fluctuations in the last thirty years, mm-hmm. it's scarier than hell. So so the only and, thing- and it's based on like several very detailed long running uh, studies so, so is it like that george carlin thing where the people uh the earth is going to be fine the people are fucked pretty much right yeah yeah the, the earth is going to be fine i think I mean, um what about the carbon like i think something you know there some methane or, or carbon one of those two things um is being released and it's being detected a lot more than it used to be um well, it's um, I'm not a I'm not an expert at all, but from what I understand, I mean, there's we're putting so much carbon. I mean, and the carbon that we're putting into the air has been on Earth, so we're not like taking extra carbon from space and injecting it into the into the atmosphere. It's been here before, and it's been hot before, but it's never been this hot this fast, except when like asteroids hit us. And, uh-huh. and stuff like, you know, and, and those have always been really bad news and it's taken like millions of years to recover from that. So are the, 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 you, you look at the graph at how, how the increase is happening in such a short time. It's so obvious. It It's, I mean, they, they have these graphs and they're able to tell how, how, what the temperatures were all the way back like 10, 20, 30,000 years ago. They could do it through, you know, geology. Wow. 
and and they have and and it's not like just one guy's opinion it's like thousands of people have worked on this from different angles and cooperated right mm-hmm. and and challenged each other because science isn't like haha this is there and then it, science is about haha i discovered this and 15 other scientists trying to prove them wrong mm-hmm. right so it's not just like their opinion it's like it's them finally admitting to themselves okay we can't we can't disprove this. So therefore it it's, it has to be real. Right. And, and so, so the graph shows that it's been cold and that's when the, the ice covered, you know, they, they could, they could tell when ice covered the entire, you know, uh, continent of the United States there of North America. And, and like there was a, a sheet of ice, a mile thick above New York or where New York is right now. And and they have all the data and in it and it has moved back and forth, but it's moved very slowly over tens of thousands of years. And every once in a while you'll get like one bump where there was a big volcano somewhere and it and it lasted like 10 years and then it kind of slowed went back to normal. But then you get to like about 1960 and it takes this severe uh, left curve going up or a curve going up and it's just climbing and it's going up like, like the COVID spike right now. I mean, it's just <laughs> almost straight up. Yeah. And in just a period of 40 years, it's, it's shifted and more than it has in 40,000 years. And it's never done that before in history that we could see. I mean, obviously, you know, 50 million years ago when an asteroid hit, it went from there to like a million degrees. But how did we go from utopia to talking about this? Well, oh, because the seas are rising. They, the seas are definitely rising mm-hmm. and, and the, the, the ice planes are melting. But here's, here's the thing. If you want to set up a utopia now, you want to set it up in, in, in Northern Canada or in Alaska. Because you're going to have long-term nice weather there. I mean, for the duration of whatever this is going to be. But then, then there are some scientists saying, oh, we're going to turn into Venus. No, that I don't believe that because we're not putting extra carbon in. You know, there's, there's, you can't get to a tipping point because all the carbon that's on Earth right now has always been on Earth and it already would have because it has been released all at once before when there was major catastrophes like super volcanoes and asteroids hitting. And, 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 and so if it was, if we were going to turn into Venus, we would have already turned into Venus, but it is going to get really hot, you know, and, and the equators are not going to be pleasant places to live if you could even live there, but the poles are going to be nice. (laughs) <laughs> it's we're all gonna the human human population is gonna migrate to to a utopia in in Antarctica where it's gonna be like this balmy you know um, tropical weather, and up around the 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 fringes of what used to be the North Pole, which is all just gonna be a sea. That's that's yeah, the man. reality a hundred years from now. You know we're we're heading that way. There's. It's, it's already past the point of no return, 
They just want to see if they could curb it and keep it from going too far. Because there's there's no there's no stopping it at this point. They're they're all in agreement about that. Well, we need to start figuring out our, our best practices for forming utopias. Then, if we want to start, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, know, pretty pretty much a colonization of any new planet would have to be a kind of utopia. Oh Lord! Uh, well, you know, as bad as the Earth might get, it's not going to be anywhere near as horrible as living on Mars. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that is just like you might as well live on in in the ground somewhere like a mole um yeah it's a good idea to colonize other planets um if that's what people are going to want to live there but that's mainly just so that if something really catastrophic catastrophic happens to earth humanity will be somewhere else and living Mm -hmm. you know and then could come back and repopulate earth that's the main reason for getting off the planet and colonizing the moon or whatever. Well, what if, you know, we just start building a cube. We could live in a cube like the Borg in space. <laughs> we could, we could actually the easiest thing to do would be just hollow out on an asteroid, mm, you know, okay. take a, take a big, you know, 40, 50 mile long asteroid and hollow it out and give it some spin and live on the inside of it. What if it, you know, goes into a black hole? Well, if a black hole comes anywhere near the uh, solar system, we're all screwed. Because <laughs> it will just throw everybody's orbits off and, and goodbye humanity. That's it. That's it. No remorse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and, and the, the scary thing is it's absolutely possible. We don't know what's out there looking around. They've discovered... <laughs> Hello and well, welcome to Joe and Jerry talking about how everything ends <laughs> instead of <laughs> utopia. Yeah, so so there's there's as many planets wandering around between solar systems as there are around solar systems. So there are rogue planets just wandering around through the uh, b- between stars, and at any point, one could just wander right into our solar system. And just like make this big U-turn right across the sun and throw all of our orbits out of balance. And then that is really going to be bad news. We just need um, some help. We need somebody to to stop this planet and to put it in rotation kind of in the Goldilocks zone where we kind of are. And then uh, you know, terraform it. That would be That would be perfect. That would be perfect. That would be perfect. You ever uh, watched... Let's let's get the gray hive aliens in on this. <laughs> you ever uh, you ever watch the old Godzilla movies, the old Japanese ones? Oh yeah! In fact, we just did a um, um, podcast episode on Godzilla on uh, uh, Zombie Beach. Oh really? We, we watched have... uh, Shin Godzilla. Oh nice! Do you remember the invasion of the Astro Monster? No, I don't remember that one. Well, we were talking about the rogue planet, and it made me think of that one because of I just I always remember those those uh, alien guys from Planet X, um, <laughs> and they had their visor like um, the one single visor across their their eyes and the black little leather spacesuits. Um, and every time I think of I hear about Planet X or the mysterious planet that we just can't see past the Kuiper Belt, um, I think of that. It's out there. 
they know something is out there because they could see it messing with the uh, messing with the orbits of the um, the comets. You know what would be cool is we found a planet somewhere like you know we have this we have this knowledge that we have this beautiful planet Earth and it's really here because the distance between the sun and the planet itself, right? It's just yeah, a yeah. perfect, perfect time. What if we find a planet that our atmosphere behaves totally differently? Like it magnifies the sun rays or the nearest stars rays to a point where, you know, it, it has the same kind of, you know, temperament as earth, the same temperature, the same kind of stuff. It, it's just out there. That would be, Wild that would be about. interesting. It'd be kind of hard to figure out how. See, there's, there's, there's so much we don't know. That's that's there, that's true. But um, th- it's very cold out there, and you need a source of energy to heat things up. So, but I mean, there could be ways to do it that we just did. That, but knows? that's what I'm getting at. I think that human knowledge is constrained by what we know, right? And what that we is know true. is what we know is constrained about what you can see with the observable, you know, eye and measure, right. With radio, all that jazz. I'm saying that, you know, in universes, whatever beyond, um, star systems, star systems, universes, galaxies, black holes, all, every wormholes, all that jazz. <laughs> like there could be places out there where, where physics behaves differently. You know, like where things just don't work that way. There, yeah, they they do think that if if this is indeed just one of many universes, which is quite possible, uh, that that every universe has a could have. It's it's unknowable to us, but could have a different set of of uh, physics and physical laws. Because all you have to do is tweak one little thing and it throws everything else off balance and and it resettles into a whole different set of rules. But, you know, uh, speaking of word, worlds and Goldilocks zones, I was reading just this month. Is it this month still? Yeah, it was just this month. An article where they have a study has come out from a number of um, astronomers studying, you know, the data from the space telescopes that they estimate that nearly every star out there has a planet in, in the Goldilocks zone. Really? Every? every? Nearly. Well, as far as they can tell, statistically, it seems like just about every star out there does. Um, pending more information. Uh, but there's no way to know if they are actually, you know, they have the right atmosphere or anything or the right size. But if, if we could, I mean, if we could figure out a way to do some sort of faster than light travel, which is way beyond us right now, because our physics tells us that is no bueno. Um, we could have a Star Trek type situation going on where there's like unlimited planets to visit and colonize and probably have intelligent societies out there. You know what I'm thinking though? 
I think that intelligence is probably widespread um, among life that's out there. But technical societies like ours are probably really weird and rare. You know, it's that it's it's more like societies of dolphins and stuff like that or intelligent bears that you know maybe make axes with stone you know things but you know nothing beyond that no radios no internet or any or rockets or airplanes or you know they might ride um five-horned toad <laughs> beasts or something but it it really it, I mean really I mean so we're listening all over the place. Of course, then again, we're only listening to you. We can only, the universe is so vast as much as we're pointing our huge telescopes and radio antennas out there. We're still just seeing like a little fraction of it, but we haven't heard anything, you know, except every once in a while we get these really amazing signals. And it turns out there's something they think they're actually called uh, magnetar. It's a, some sort of weird magnetic star i i don't know the thing but they make these really insanely strong radio waves and they sound like they might be a um a signal but they're just something that's naturally occurring but um uh from from everything we can see life is there's nothing special about life it looks like it's a very natural thing that would form if if the conditions are right, and and it does tend to lead toward intelligence. But does it take that next leap into technology? That's I think that's where we're so different than anything else that's out there, except maybe those gray hive aliens that are apparently visiting Earth and. Oh, they're here. F- f- fucking with the, the U.S. military. Yeah. They're here. The lizard people are here. <laughs> yeah, they're, lizard people. They're in their deep underground bunkers. Uh, I don't think we did an episode on those yet, but um, that's another thing we Mark, could talk about at some point. are the allegations true that you're secretly a lizard? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to go with no on that. <laughs> uh, I am not a lizard. Oh boy! Yeah, we know yeah. you're a lizard, Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, that's something else we can check out: is the deep underground military bases. They're called dumbs. <laughs> uh, that's <just laughs> how the acronym works out. But um, yeah, these were these were kind of one of those science fiction things that we didn't think the government had, and then boom, we found out the government had them. Um, there are stories about contractors going in, and then some like one of the walls broke breaks down and all of a sudden they see all these like aliens in uniforms, like working on machines. What? Yeah, man. Check. I don't believe it. You don't, you don't. Okay. You don't have to believe me, but go out there, research for yourself and see if you find anything that, you know, toggles like your, your, your tidbits in your mind. So, okay. Well, I think we know what our next episode is going to be about. (laughs) Yeah. So utopias. Acceptably real? Mm, well, only when they're done right. Yeah. I think they have to be finely balanced. No no creepy stuff. No Kool-Aid. <laughs> no, no, no Kool-Aid. No, no, uh, what was the, the Hale-Bopp comments? 
Thanks for listening to the Acceptably Real podcast with Joe and Jerry. Eager for more? Visit us at acceptablyreal.com or like us on Facebook at Acceptably Real Podcast. Hey, it's Jerry. I am happy to announce that on August 1st, 2020, my latest novel is out. It's another comedy, fantasy, mystery, love story type novel. This one's set right before the pandemic hit. Well, because that's when I wrote it. And the main character is a down-on-his-luck tech entrepreneur who lost almost everything in a bad deal and a lawsuit and decides to reboot his life by opening up a computer repair shop for secret reasons of his own in a small Oregon seacoast town. There he is seduced by a mysterious young witch and, while on a walk along the ocean one morning, he sees something he knows is impossible. And yet, there it is. This leads him into a secret the town has been keeping since the 70s and throws everything he's ever believed about reality right out the window. The book is called No Such Thing as Mermaids and is available now on Amazon.com and soon at most other major online bookstores, both in print and ebook editions. You could also find links to it on my personal website, jerryjdavis.com. Thanks! <laughs>